Hey, good morning, everyone. So Brandon and I, Pastor Brandon and I, were uh, preparing for the trip to go to the Dream Center in Utah, and we were talking to leadership there, and we're like, you know, what's the weather like in southern Utah um, at the end of February? They're like, oh, oh, 60, 65 degrees, sunny. We only get about 17 inches of snow a year here. I'm like, wow, that's interesting, because more up in the mountains. So I looked at the long-range forecast. They're going to get half their amount of snow that they get in a year on Tuesday when we drive in, and the lows are going to be sub-zero temperatures. So can everybody just say, aw? Can you just say, aw? Okay, that makes me feel like, yeah, if you are clapping, yeah, serves you right, Pastor, going to Central America all those years. But uh, please uh, keep us in your prayers. We'd appreciate it. We're looking forward to working uh, with the Dream Center and talking to the leadership and such a... Uh, just a very needed ministry and people that are there and, and what they've been exposed to and how they were abused in the name of religion and the name of Jesus is heartbreaking for me. And I think sometimes when we look at, at the church, and, and this is really what we're going to be talking about over the next um, several weeks, we're, we're going to look at, does, does Christianity pass the test? We're going we're to look at some difficult passages. We're going to look at how do we deal with our culture today? Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about why some people have left the faith or even have left church. And and if we're honest with ourselves, many times in the church things happen. And people in the name of Jesus or in the name of Christianity can do bad things. We all realize that. And, And for us here today, I want us to get a true understanding of what the Word says and how we can correctly represent Jesus in our world today. Many people have left the faith because of something that has happened in in the church or something that has happened to them or someone who's done something wrong in the name of Jesus. Now, that still doesn't justify maybe living uh, the way we want to or living outside of the will of God. But I think it's good for us as the body of Christ to make sure that we are following the will of God, that we are following the heart of Jesus. And what this ministry is so unique is really what they do with many of those that have been hurt from this fundamental group, this cult, they have to just show them love and serve them. And then their hearts become open to truly hear the message of Jesus. And many are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, they're, 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 Jesus is, is binding up their wounds, healing their hurts. And we're actually, we just talked to the leadership last week, and we're going to be working with one woman who has um, come out of the cult, and she's gotten a couple of master's degrees in psychology and counseling and working with those who have been very abused and hurt through the cult system. And she opens up her home to people who have been hurt to come in and and love on them and give them a place to live after they've been abandoned. And uh, so we're going to be working on her home a little bit this week. So I'm, I'm excited about meeting her and the ministry that God has, has laid at her feet. So um, keep us in your in your prayers. And how many you know we... We we live in a day and age where I think many times people can look at Christianity and think that we're narrow-minded, that many times our speech is hate speech. And I want you to know that's, that's not what we represent. That's not what we're about. So if you're here today or you're watching online, you've been hurt in the past because of the, you know, the name of religion or the name of Jesus. Let me just say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that's happened to you. But what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at grace and why grace separates Christianity from every other world religion. We need to understand the grace by which we are saved. 
And I think many times we get a misunderstanding of grace. Either it's the sloppy grace that everything goes, or, or, or we go back to a performance type of relationship with Jesus. We understand as Christians that we're saved by grace, but for some reason the default of my heart is to morph back into this performance type of religion that I have to perform for God, that I have to do some moralistic things for God in order for him to receive me. Let me just say this. We bring nothing to the table in our salvation. God has done everything for us by his grace, and none of us in this room watching online deserve that grace. But yet God, through his mercy and grace, sends us his son to do something that we can't do for ourselves. and He dies for our sins and becomes our substitute. Amen? Let's pray. That was good. And we can just go home after that one, okay? So my prayer as we go through, we're going to deal with, let me just say this, over the next couple weeks, we're going to deal with some very, very difficult topics. And I feel like we can't hide from them. We need to deal with them and see what the scriptures say because we need to have a, a true biblical worldview if we're going to be able to come up against some of the philosophies that are coming against the church and to, and to correctly interpret the word of God and, and how we react to those who oppose our Christian worldview or what we believe is true from God's word. How do we do that correctly without becoming judgmental and hateful? And I believe that we can do that in a way that honors Christ, but yet honors his word. And so we need to know what we believe. And does Christianity pass the test? And I believe that we can find in God's word, I believe that the word of God can lead us and direct us correctly. So the, the, the basis for this series, I want, I want to look at First Peter, because Peter encourages his listeners, as, as someone asks a question about why they believe, he encourages them to have a defense, to have an understanding of why they believe and what they believe. But then he, he adds this caveat by saying, this is how you are to do it. So if you've got your Bibles, I want us to look at 1 Peter chapter 3. You can look up at line, or if you've got your devices, you can, um, you can read along here. 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Let's see what Peter says here, because I, this is the whole basis for what we're going to be teaching on for the next few weeks and how we give a defense for what we believe and how we can meet the challenges of the things that are happening so quickly in our culture. Here's what Peter says. Here's what Peter says. But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense, a defense. I like that the ESV version um, translates that word defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Everybody say gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. Okay. Having a good conscience so that if you ever are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. I love the balance. Right off the bat here, I love the balance that Peter gives here in this passage. We need to give a reason for the hope that we have. We need to know why we believe what we believe. And But he says here, he adds this, Peter doesn't leave it there. He goes further and he says, we need to do it in gentleness and respect. So as we study the truth of God's word, may we never use it as a baseball bat to beat people up with it. And I think sometimes we can go to one of two extremes. We may not know what we really believe and we just get defensive. Or we may know what we believe and we take pride in that 
And we use it as a way to become judgmental against the world and use it as a baseball bat. That's not what Peter is saying here. This is where we can miss it as a follower of Jesus Christ. We can come blazing with our truth, yet not show gentleness or respect in the way we believe. And I know it can get, we can get very defensive by how quickly the world is turning around, uh, around us. I was um, listening to a, a podcast of a former member of the Church of Latter-day Saints, a former member of the Mormon Church, and he said the worst encounters that he would have, many of you may have had someone from the Church of Latter-day Saints come to your door and, and witness to you about their faith, and he said the worst encounters he would have are with Christians when he went door to door. He said he would have the door slammed in his face, they were treated with disrespect, many times even with, with hatred. Let me remind you of this. As we study the truth of God's word and what we believe of the truth, and we believe that God's word holds all truth, and we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, as we stand on the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, there is no provocation that ever deserves an unchristian response. Get that now, please, okay? When you're online and you're upset and you don't like what the world is saying, or you're in a conversation with somebody, just remind yourself your witness is the thing that you have to make sure that you do not blow. That your witness for Christ and the way you represent Christ, when you leave that conversation, what what is that person left with? So let's be very careful that there is no provocation that ever, ever, ever deserves an unchristian response gentleness, and respect. Capiche? I love you guys. I love you guys. Okay, so Peter, what he uses is, he uses the word defense. And in the original language the Bible was written in the New Testament, the Greek, it's this word apologia. And, and this is where we get our English word apologetics. And this means to speak in defense when someone asks you a question. So when we give a reason to those, we're to give a reason for those who ask us why we believe in Christ. This is what Peter is saying. So apologetics basically is defined as a branch of theology devoted to defending Christianity's divine origins and authority. And there's a couple of people that I really enjoy listening to. They have podcasts, they have a YouTube channel, they have uh, books they've written. Two people I would really recommend for those of you that are looking to traverse through all the cultural things that we're going through today and then give a, a strong defense biblically on where uh, we stand on these things biblically. Two of those people are um, uh, Elisa Childers, really enjoy her YouTube channel and podcast. And another is Sean McDonald. Some of you may have heard of Josh McDowell, uh, his dad, who wrote evidence that demands a verdict. In fact, in fact, they have, um, they have uh, rewritten and, and done some revisions on that book, and Josh has worked with his dad. That, that's a must in every Christian library, evidence that demands a verdict, Sean and Josh McDowell, and I would totally recommend that, especially parents working with your children, uh, anyone, I would, I would completely recommend that. Um, what's interesting is Sean McDowell is a professor in the Christian's Apologetics Program at Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. And uh, I was uh, listening to him one week, and someone asked him, what are the most common questions that you are asked? 
What are the most common questions that people ask you to defend? Here are, here are the top three questions, and we're going we're gonna to dive into all three of these in our series. The number one question that he was asked is the problem with evil and suffering. How could God allow evil and suffering? And we're going to deal with that in a couple of weeks. Another, another major question, one of the top questions that were asked, and we're going to deal with this today, is Jesus the only way? How could Jesus be the only way with so many other uh, religions in the world and religious figures? How can we say that Jesus is the only way to God? We're going to deal with that today. And then the third most asked question is the moral issues today. Are all lifestyles acceptable to God? And we're going to deal with that too. We're going to deal with some tough passages that we see in the Bible that many people ask questions. And you may have read through the Bible and you're like, hmm, that's interesting. What does that mean? So we're going to deal with some of the most difficult passages within um, the, the Bible. And we're going to look at, does God really care about what you do in your body? We're going to, we're going to please... Oh. Let's pray right now. Pray for me. That was one of the hardest messages I've, I ever wrote. And, and I, my prayer is that we would get a correct understanding of how God views us and how he created us. How important that is for us to understand biblically, especially in the day and age that we're, we're living in. So Peter tells us to know what we believe, but do it with gentleness and respect. So let me, let me lay this out for you. What, is, what, what does Peter mean by this? Because sometimes I feel like in order for us to get our point across, we, we become mean or judgmental. When Peter says gentleness and respect, gentleness means not being insistent on our rights, not pushy, not assertive, not demanding our own ways. So when a family member or a friend disagrees with what you believe, do, listen, this is just great wisdom here. Do all you can to keep the lines of communication open. Do your best not to slam the door for people that may not agree with you. This is both good for you and for them. It's good for you because it causes you to dig in, to know why you believe what you believe in those certain uh, topics and what does the Bible have to say for that. And also it plants seeds in that other person's heart that you still love them, that you still care for them. You may disagree with them, but you can still have a loving dialogue with them as you traverse through these difficult uh, topics. Try to understand the way they feel and why they, and, and, and why they believe a certain way. You can pray for them and pray for yourself for, for wisdom. I have listened for some reason as a pastor, I, I'm really interested in people who have deconstructed from their faith or have walked away from church. And um, for many people, it was these very questions that were posed to Sean McDowell, these top questions. For many of them, they, they, these questions, they, they stumbled over. Either, number one, they weren't answered correctly, or they were never dealt with. And so for many, it, it's, there's this common thread for those who have walked away from their faith or from church. And many of these questions are, are very similar. But I've noticed a, a similar common thread in each of these deconstruction stories. And first of all, maybe it was a question that was never answered for them. So when someone posed that question to them and they didn't know how to answer it, it caused them to stumble because they did not have deep roots or a deep biblical understanding or a biblical worldview on how to answer that. I listened to a debate that an atheist was a part of. It was with William Lane Craig. And um, this atheist, he really opened up his heart on why he decided not to believe in God. And he shared this very, um, very difficult story when he was a child. And as I was listening to it, I was like, wow, you could really hear 
this man's heart on why he chose to believe the way he did. And it was, it was, it was really interesting to hear his heart. And what he said was when he was a boy, he was hunting with his father. And he told his, his father, he says he wasn't sure if he believed that God was creator of the world or if, or if God was real. And his father scolded him and reprimanded him and said never to ask that question again. So he never did. He never was, he never was, he never was told to, to look into it. He never was given the freedom to, to, to understand the, the world and creation and given some good uh, resources and understanding of God being the creator of the world. He was just scolded. And so he was reprimanded for asking a question. Parents, never assume your children understand everything. Never assume that your children understand. Sometimes I think we, listen, I'm in the same boat as you. Sometimes we have this thing, well, they had a Christian education or they, uh, they, we brought them up in church. And, and we, we can tend to assume that we think they know how to handle some of these tough questions. As a parent, we need to be having these discussions with our children, these hard questions allowing them to traverse through some of these hard questions. And, and I've shared this with you before. I had that question with Colby when he was 12 or 13. And he said, Dad, I, I'm not, how do you know that the Word of God is the Word of God? And he goes, don't give me your... And it was funny. He goes, I don't want to know the internal reasons why the Word of God is the Word of God. Is there any external things that can show the, you know, show the reliability of, of the Scripture? So I said, I said no, I'm, we're not going to talk about this. No. I said, Colby, those are great, great questions. So we talked about it. And I gave him some, you know, archaeological. I gave, you know, we tried to look at a lot of external things. And then I gave him a couple books. I said, would you be willing to read a couple books on this? And he says, absolutely. So we had this great dialogue because he wanted to know for himself. Don't, don't, don't have your faith for your child and just assume they believe what you believe. Delve, we're delving into these difficult questions because we need to know that we know what we believe, that we can meet the challenges of what the world can. And listen, the difficult thing now is we're, we've got the internet that challenges, amen? And, 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 and your kids are reading things or, or has a question that's posed from a friend or something, they're like, geez, I, I don't know how to answer this. So with, with, with Kobe, we went through this, and later I said, Kobe, you know, I, I gave him some like college-level material to read, and he's like, okay, I'll try it, I'll read it. And later I went back to him and I said, hey, hey, how you doing with all that? I've, you know, he goes, I'm good. I'm good. I'm like, okay, good like, how good? Like, you don't believe good or you believe good or it's answered your question? He goes, no, it's definitely answering my questions. And he had a deep-rooted understanding of why the word of God is the word of God. And I said, whew, thank you, Jesus. Okay, so, um, but, but these are things that we have to address and not just assume we have to have these difficult conversations, and so that's why I believe it's so imperative for us to, to dive into these things um, as, as a church. Um, for, for many, listen, and, and I feel bad, for many, something happened in a church that caused them to walk away, abuse many times being a primary reason, spiritual abuse. For some, they may have entered college and they were asked a question about their faith that caused them uh, to doubt or stumble. Um, and these are real reasons, and, and we should never overlook them or, br- or brush them aside or put them under the carpet. These are real things that people struggle with. And, and, and so we need to deal with these things. We need to help people see who Jesus is and separate people or a church who may have misrepresented Christ wrongly to show them who the true person of Jesus really is.
So how we witness Christ in this world is imperative. How we represent Christ and our testimony for Christ in this world is imperative. So so what I want to do is that that's our basis, and let's make sure we do everything with gentleness and respect as we deal uh, with these issues and the truth of what God's Word has to say about this. So let's answer this question. What makes Christianity different? What makes it different? Why, why do we believe that Christianity is the only way? Why do we believe that Jesus is both all-inclusive in who comes to him and exclusive in the way to the Father? Why do we believe that? And many people ask, well, that, that's pretty narrow-minded, Pastor. How can you stand up there and say that Jesus is the only way when there's so many sincere people who have a faith and believe in something greater, and we're going to say that they're wrong. So let, let, let's, let's, are you ready? Let's fasten our seatbelts, and uh, let's tackle this. Because many, are, many would say that all religions are basically the same. It really doesn't matter what you believe, and can't we just all join hands, right? And just sing kumbaya, and, just, and, and, and coexist with all these different beliefs, and just receive it all, and it, it eventually it all goes to the same place. Um, listen, we, we can coexist with people and be tolerant and be loving and be caring and not judgmental and not hateful. But we need to know what the word of God says and what Jesus says about himself. So one would say that they believe in a God. But when you begin to scratch beneath the surface, all the religions of the world become very different. So on the surface, you may say, well, somebody has a God and there's, there's a, a prophet or a leader, and then there's ways to, to, to redeem your sin and to find forgiveness for your sin. Isn't it just all the same? Does it really, really matter what you believe? Isn't it important that you just believe in something? I want, you to, I want to be very clear here. Jesus didn't claim to be just a good moral teacher. Jesus made the claim of divinity, saying that he was the Son of God, that he and his father were one and explained his purpose for coming to this world. That is why he was sent to the cross. He was sent to the cross because of his claim of divinity. See, Jesus claims exclusivity, that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the father except through him. Why can Jesus make that claim? Why does he separate himself from every one else. So at the end of the day, we need to say to ourselves, someone needs to be right and someone needs to be wrong. See, to make the argument that all religions are the same and lead to the same place or all roads lead to God would grossly misinterpret Jesus's very own words. So listen, my, my teaching to you here today is not what I believe, not what I think is true. This is what Jesus taught. So we need to take Jesus at his words and then understand why Jesus made these claims. And then does Jesus authenticate the claims that he made? And the answer is a resounding yes, yes, yes. So here's the reason why I believe Christianity is completely different from every other religious system in the world. And I have one word for you, and it's grace. It's grace. What I want to dig in today is, is, is grace. Why does grace make Christianity different from every other world 
religious system. So what I want to do this morning, I want to look at grace in the Old Testament and define it for us, and then look at grace in the New Testament and define it for us there, and why grace is the reason why Christianity is exclusive from every other world religious uh, system, and, and, and why this is so important for us to understand. So grace in the Hebrew scriptures was a gift given with delight. When you see this word used in the Old Testament, what grace means is this. It means favor despite fairness. How many of you know life is not fair? How many are old enough like me to realize life isn't fair? Don't you love when your kids give you that, give you that excuse? Well, that's not fair. They got more than you. And then what's your answer? Life isn't fair. Get over it, right? We've come to realize quickly that life isn't fair. Grace in the Old Testament, its meaning was favor despite fairness. Think of it this way. If you're speeding and Ruth Brooks is flying by on 104, right? She's a speeder. I just love to pick on Ruth. Think about it. If you're speeding on 104 and you're pulled over, do you deserve a ticket? Is that the fair thing to do? We knew the speed limit. We knew the posted speed limit. But yet we went over the speed limit and we got pulled over. And the fair thing to do is to get a ticket. Now, I, I, I believe that there's no officer that's ever heard someone ever say, ever, when they got pulled over, the officer comes to the window and says, do you know what you're doing? I do. Yeah. I was speeding. Please give me a ticket. Please give me a ticket because that's the fair thing to do right? Please, please give me that $500 ticket. I just want to pay it. Um, please, that's a fair thing to do. No, that's not what, what, what do we do? We plead for what? Favor that we don't deserve. So when the officer doesn't give you a ticket, what is that called? It's favor. And you are, aren't you thankful? Because you don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. It was something that was bestowed on you that you did not deserve. Here's what makes Christianity different from every other world religion. Every other world religion bases its salvation on some type of work. It's something that you do. It's something that you bring to the table. We bring nothing to the table for our salvation. It's all done by God's grace through his mercy. So whether it's through reincarnation, whether it's through enlightenment, or following some sort of established laws, there is something that you have to do. The teaching of Christianity is the polar opposite when it comes to salvation. Because our salvation is by grace, something that God does for us. See, let's get a deeper, I want us to get a deeper appreciation for the salvation by grace and why this is exclusive to Christianity. And let me give you an Old Testament example. I love this Old Testament example, because it's such a, a wonderful example of a favor that shouldn't have been given, and, and how, how the fairness of it was not executed, but favor was given when there should have been something that should have been done for what happened in the situation. And it's found in Genesis 33, and it's a story of this encounter between, uh, between Esau uh, and his brother Jacob. And as you know, many of you may know the story, Isaac and Rebekah had these two twins, Jacob and Esau. And, and Jacob would eventually be the father of the tribes of Israel. And for years, the brothers were estranged from each other for this reason. 
Jacob cheated his brother from his birthright. Now, the reason why that's so important is that a special honor was given to the eldest son, and he would receive double portion of the father's inheritance. So as a result of Jacob receiving his father's blessing, Esau wanted to kill him. And so what this caused Jacob to do was flee, and for 20 years they were estranged from each other. They never saw each other. They never talked. Jacob finally wants to reconcile with his brother Esau, and he has no idea how this is going to go. So he brings his wife, and he puts her out in the front. When they, No, I'm just kidding. He goes to meet, and he's got his family. He's like, man, I don't know how this is going to go. And, and this story is incredible how this goes. And, and this encounter that they have speaks of God's favor and grace. And it's found in Genesis 33. And let me just read you a couple of verses here. It says, Jacob went ahead. He's got his family, but he went ahead and he approached his brother and he bowed down to the ground seven times before him, paying him honor and respect. Then what Esau does is Esau runs to meet him and he embraces his brother. He actually throws his arms around his neck and kisses him and they both wept. Now, Jacob didn't deserve this at all for what he did. Esau gives his brother grace that he most definitely didn't deserve. This is why grace is this undeserved favor that we see here in this picture of these two brothers. One who deserves something, one who should have been treated much harsher. And it wasn't fair what happened. But yet through grace, there was this favor that was bestowed and that relationship was healed. You see, without grace, we can't find true forgiveness. Without grace, our sins truly cannot be forgiven. Listen, we need to understand the grace by which we are saved, that we are estranged from God because of our sin, that none of us deserve it, but God, through his mercy and grace, sends his son to do all the work for us. See, we're... Where we go wrong in Christianity so many times, and I don't know why we do this, because I, I just think it's the default of our heart. For some reason, we get this grace at the beginning that we're saved by grace. And we're like, oh God, thank you for forgiving me. And it's this amazing thing that, that through our repentance and through us coming to, to Christ and falling upon his grace, our sins are wiped away. Isn't that a wonderful thing? What a wonderful hope that we have that no matter what we've done, that God can forgive us through his son Jesus. Isn't that amazing? He, he, he's not asking for us to do all this penance and you're going to pay for the, he By his grace, he saves us. Now, do we live with the effects of sin? Absolutely. Do we live with regrets? Absolutely. But by God's grace, we're saved and he covers us and he redeems us and he doesn't hold that sin over us any longer. And there's this freedom and, and there's this joy coming to Christ and finding forgiveness that we didn't deserve, that we didn't get treated like our sins deserved. But what goes wrong? For some reason, we morph back into this works relationship with God by trying to gain God's approval through our performance. How many of you ever happened to this one? Maybe you can relate to this, where when you first came to Christ, there was this joy and like, man, thank you, Jesus. Woo-hoo, right? You know, he's forgiven me and, and, and you become born again and you're like, God is so good. And 
man, he set me free from this, that, and the other. And then all of a sudden, someone sidles up to you, right? One of those mature Christians, and they sidle up to you, and they they begin to say, hey, what what do you got on there? Right? What do you you wear? Are you supposed to be wearing that? It's like, well, what are you doing? And I remember the church that, that, that I became a Christian in, it was, it was this guy who would just kind of attack you if you had a hat on in the sanctuary. He was like, he would actually take your hat and throw it if, if you wore it. And it's like, listen, I understand about respect and honor, but so many times we take these man-made rules and we force it upon people. And the grace that I was saved that gets dumped down by this water by someone trying to tell you, you got to do it this way or this way. I remember my dad telling me a story when he prayed one time. Some guy said, you didn't pray the right way. you got to pray this way. This. It's like, really? You know, dumping water. Listen, does God want us to live a holy life? Absolutely. Does God want us to honor what we do in our body? Absolutely. But what drives me to want to honor God in his will? It is the grace by which I was saved. What that does is it creates a gratitude and a thankfulness that I now want to serve him. And what I do matters now because I understand what I was saved from. But if someone comes up with a list of rules, rules, and more rules, and more rules, and tries to force them on you, what that does is that creates a performance attitude within my heart that now I've got to perform for God in order to gain his acceptance. So the very grace that I'm now saved by, I now added to the works. And Jesus spoke against that over and over and over again. So we have to guard ourselves against sloppy grace that just allows everything, it doesn't matter what you do, to this rigid rule relationship that Jesus didn't come for. And we got to find this grace that was saved, that, that we understand. Like Tim Keller says, he says there's this, this great, there's this thing we need to understand that we are more sinful than we could ever imagine. But at the same time, we're more loved and received by God than we would ever hope for. If you, if you can get between those two worlds, I think you won't abuse grace. And you won't fall and you won't default to works to try to strive to try to please God through your performance. That the way you please God is through, your, through the grace that has been given to you to live a holy life that God desires us to live. Amen. I don't know why I went off. and I'm sorry, that was free of charge for all of you. But listen, this is the grace. It's that un, undeserved favor Let's look at the New Testament real quick here because I, I love the idea of grace in the New Testament too. And, and this, is, this is what God does for us through his son, Jesus. And he gives us this gift of Jesus' son. Tim Keller says, Jesus does not tell us how to live so we can merit salvation. Rather, he comes to forgive and save us through his life and death in our place. God's, I love this, God's grace does not come to people who morally outperform others. It's good. But to those who admit their failure to perform and who acknowledge their need for a Savior. That's grace. 
See, what Keller reminds us is he reminds us of the thief, the two thieves that, that were next to Jesus on the cross. I, can I just be honest with you? I am so glad that this story is in the Bible because it, it recalibrates me when, when I get too much on the law side and all the works and the rules and, and it helps calibrate me to understand that it's all by God's grace that it's his grace that sustains me. It's his grace that saves me. It's his grace that gives me strength for living each day. It's his grace that when I am weak, he is strong. And I love this story. It's in Luke 23. And there's this, the, the, the story is of Jesus on the cross. He's had these two thieves who deserve to be there and they're next to Jesus. And they have this conversation while they're on the cross. And one of the criminals who hung there, we can see this in verse 39 through 43. It says one of the, one of the, the, the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. And he says, well, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and save us. But the other criminal rebuked him. He said, don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished, what? Justly. There's a fairness to what's going on here. And, and actually, we're getting what we deserve. He's recognizing his sin. He's not justifying it. He's not throwing it on Jesus. He's justifying his life and what he deserves. But he looks at Jesus and said, but this man's done nothing wrong. Then he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answers him. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I want you to understand something here. These, these men deserved hell. Jesus gives the one man what he doesn't deserve, heaven. And what's it based on? Grace. Here's the reason why. Can that man get down from the cross and do anything? Did he have time to go through membership class? Right? Did he have time to get down and, 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 and go and get baptized? Nada. What saved him was not his performance or his works or anything he did. What allowed him to go to heaven and paradise with Christ was his faith in Jesus of his grace and grace alone, knowing that Jesus was perfect and he was wrong. He fell upon the mercy and grace of Jesus, and that's what saved him. This whole story is about grace. The one criminal who reached out to Jesus didn't deserve forgiveness, and he knew it. He recognized his shortcoming. He didn't justify it. He recognized it, and he recognized his need for a Savior and the neatest thing about this story is it wasn't too late. At the last moment, and we don't, we don't have any idea what this guy did. At the last moment, he called out for grace. Now, let me ask you a question. Was that fair? Wait a minute, Lord. I've been, doing, I've been serving you for all these years. This guy up on the cross getting ready to die, he reaches out to you and he gets heaven, and I've been serving you all these years. Do you see how easy, listen, do you see how easy works can creep into our relationship with God? This story shows us that grace sees beyond all that. And at the last moment, grace saved him. It wasn't fair, 
but it's grace because he didn't earn it or deserve it. God spared him through his grace. There's a couple things here. Number one, it's never too late for you. Right? Never too late for you. And secondly, I want you to know that no matter what has happened in your past, there is grace to cover our past. You see, this is the reason why grace is the thing that separates Christianity from every other world belief system. See, the passage here with the thief shows us that no matter what your pastors are, how great our sin is, there's forgiveness through Christ. And the criminal had no time to do good works to cover his sin. Grace is what covered his sin, and grace is what covers your sin. Period. And when you recognize that, you fall on the mercy of God. And that's where repentance comes in, where we say, God, forgive me. I was wrong. And I need that grace. And God pours his grace on us that we can be redeemed, we can be covered. And he breaks that old past in our life. That's what makes Christianity so much different. I I can't imagine, listen, I can't imagine spending my whole life wondering whether or not I'll make it into heaven. I can't imagine what it is like for somebody to say, did I go to church enough? Did I read my Bible enough? Did I go to enough classes? Did I do enough good works? Did my good works outweigh my bad works? Grace eliminates all that. Because if I'm trying to strive God in my works, there's going to be this little bit of doubt always in my mind that I've never done enough. Grace eliminates that. So when I understand that I'm saved by grace, it propels me to want to do good works for Jesus. Not because because it saves me, not because I'm trying to gain more of God's love, but it's out of gratitude and thankfulness for what Jesus accomplished for me. So then I say, Jesus, I'm your willing servant. I want to please you in my life, not because I have to, or you're holding something over my head, or you're holding shame or guilt over my head. The reason why I please, that I want to please you is you've changed my heart, and it's through your grace and mercy, and I realize the depths that you went through. You see, when we stop talking about the cross and the death of Christ, And what he did for us, we'll forget how powerful that grace was to save us. So it's not that we sit there and we just pour and say, you know, you're no good, you're no good, you're no good, you're no good. And we pour, you know, shame and guilt uh, upon our lives. Because then what we're going to do is we're going to try to strive to know God through our works. Jesus says, listen, I know your past. I know every thought you, you, you thought. I know every thought you thought this week. But I still love you. And you can still find forgiveness. And he knows every thought. Yet he still gives us his grace and we can still find forgiveness. So now what I do is I strive to want to know Christ because of the gratitude I have and the thankfulness I have for what he went through for me. So here's here's how I want to leave it today. May we embrace that grace in our lives. And we understand that that's what separates Christianity from other religious beliefs. May we embrace that grace in our life and may we live out that grace in our daily lives and show that grace in the way we deal with others who may not necessarily agree with what we believe.
So as we traverse through the next weeks and we look at some really difficult passages and as we deal with some cultural things in our world today and and, and why many churches are moving away from some of core beliefs and, and core reasons why we believe in certain things, when we deal with those things, we're going to deal with them as biblically as possible as we can through the Word of God, but we're going to do it with grace and love and realize that this world is a world that Jesus died for. So we will stand firm on the truth of God's word, but we're going to do it in love and we're going to do it in truth and we're going to do it in gentleness and we'll do it with respect. Remember, at the end of the day, let's let's have a good witness for Christ so that when they do say something, as Peter said against us, it's not, it's not because of our character or being mean or judgmental. It's because of our love and our faith in Christ Jesus. Let that be the emblem of who we are as believers in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray and let's thank God for his grace today. He's such a perfect Savior in every way. So, Father God, we just come before you today and I thank you for your grace. Lord, I pray for those that are here, those that are watching. That, Lord, so many things we've done, we've, we've, we've done because we want to satisfy ourselves or our will, Lord. And Jesus, you came to give your life for our waywardness and our sin. And, and Lord, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts, that we would just fall on that grace today. For those who feel guilt and shame of their past, I pray your grace would be applied to their lives. For those who have been trying to gain your acceptance through their works, I pray grace would be applied to their life. Lord, for those who have been harsh, maybe not showing a gentle or respectful spirit, Lord, I pray grace would be applied to their life. Let us realize there was a price paid for your grace, God. Jesus, you gave your life for us. That thief was not let off the hook. He was not let off the hook. You died for whatever sin he committed, and you died and paid the penalty for the sins that we've committed. And you show us your mercy and grace through how you forgive us when we come to you and we lay our lives at your feet. Thank you for that unmerited grace that you give us that wasn't earned or deserved. We love you and we thank you. Help us never to take that grace for granted. We love you, we thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. And all God's children said, amen, amen. Would you stand with me? We're just singing a song about grace today. Let's, let's just thank God for his grace as we just worship him. God bless you.